Welcome to Almost 30 with Krista Williams and Lindsay Simpson. Each week, we catch up with Krista and Lindsay to hear what's happening now, what hilariousness happened then, and to ask, is it Almost 30? Almost 30 Nation, what is up? Just so you know, we light up every time you use the hashtag almost 30 nation. Please don't stop. Please share with your friends. We are so thankful for your enthusiasm and your passion and your commitment to this podcast. We cannot do it without you. Thank you for joining the secret Facebook group. If you haven't joined, please join, search it on Facebook. And thank you for emailing us, for commenting on our Instagram and for just being amazing human beings. We appreciate you. This community is rad as fuck. All right. Um, so today's episode is so unique, so special, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. We cannot wait for you to hear it. We bring on Layla Martin, who women's health magazine calls the head mistress of pleasure. Uh, hello. Okay. She studied sexuality at Stanford University and in the jungles of Asia, Asia with tantric masters. How freaking cool. Um, she is here and is on a mission to detoxify your sex life and your love life, um, and upgrade you to an organic and maximally healthy approach to sex and love. They go hand in hand. Um, because let's be honest, as she says, the way we make love um, is an absolutely essential component to our happiness in life. So, hey, sign me up. Um, our conversation may not be what you think uh, when you hear a podcast title with the word sex in it. Um, we go deep. We We talk about a lot of things. It made us rethink how we view sex. Um, when we hear the word sex, um, you know, it doesn't have to be shameful or negative or positive, you know, it can just be an expression of yourself and how you're feeling. And, um, for Krista, it was really eye-opening thinking about how her upgrade upbringing affected the way she thinks about sex. And it was really eye-opening for me to, um, step back and see how I use sex to connect um, with the person that I want to get closer to. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it if you love it. Um, and please write into us if you have any questions, we hope to bring Layla on again. Um, we plug all of her socials and her website at the end of this episode. So stick around. We love you guys. And we know you're going to love this episode. Hey, Krista, or, uh, sorry, and the other, who, which the other? <laughs> I love that. Lindsay, <laughs> Lindsay and Krista. <laughs> I'm sure all of our family and friends answered like that. They're like, hey, Lindsay, hey, Krista. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for being um, on and taking the time. We know you are so busy. We've been kind of lost, at, joyfully lost in your videos all week, mm -hmm. watching <laughs> all of your amazing videos. And we're so excited to share um, your story and your mission and your gift with our listeners. So um, we would love to hear from you what epic sex and legendary love means and why everyone needs to know about it. Okay, perfect. So um, epic sex uh, to me and why I got so inspired is when I originally studied sexuality, like, you know, at university, and I was like, I don't know. I just feel like there's more. I don't know why, but mm -hmm. I just do. And so and studied Tantra for um, well, more than seven years, but really like went into it for seven years. It just blew my mind what was possible sexually. Like the what I used to think was an orgasm was like nothing compared to what was possible when I used breathing and sounding and connection. And, mm. you know, we kind of I feel like in the modern world, there's this kind of thing of like, it's cool to be afraid of intimacy or it's okay to be kind of shut down or like yeah. everyone's scared and intimacy is a scary thing, but like everyone craves so deeply sexual experiences where you're just like naked and raw and connected with your partner in the most intimate moments. And so for me, Epic Sex really captures this idea that sexuality can be for everyone. And I've literally seen that everyone is capable of this, like a multicolored, vibrant experience, kind of like taking drugs, but you don't have to take drugs. Like you're sober, but you're having these really intense, magical sexual experiences and that there are techniques and practices that help support us in actually getting there. 
And for legendary love, it's really this idea that like, you know, we still, as far as relationships go, we still inherited the set of rules from our parents and grandparents where marriage was really a contract and a relationship was successful if it lasted. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much it. It's like, did you break up or not? And if you didn't break up, then your relationship was successful. And if you broke up, then somehow you had failed. And it's like, we know this isn't true anymore in our heads, but we're still kind of operating on the old relationship ideals and not really focusing on the amount of love or the amount of evolution that's possible or the amount of growth or the amount of truth that's possible in a relationship. So to me, legendary love is really about changing how we do relationships so that it's much more about a relationship is successful if the two people are growing and learning about themselves and experiencing incredible intimacy and depth together. And it's not about just trying to hold it together as long as possible. I love that. That's beautiful. And I, Layla, this is Krista. I was even just watching your videos and even on the way here, I made it a point to turn off any podcasts or anything like that, which I normally just consume like crazy and have a think about my um, belief system around sex and my belief system around intimacy. And it is crazy because I think I'm on a path or I think I'm on making steps in my life to get as close as I can to being the person I want to be, but I've actually never really explored my belief system around sex or sexuality. And I know that from my Catholic upbringing, going to church every Sunday and growing up in the Midwest in Ohio, it is kind of one that's full of shame around sex and full of um, like a shutting down of your sexuality or your femininity or you don't talk about it. You know, we never talked about it. It was never acknowledged. You know, it was never something that was celebrated where I was from. Um, so I'm curious about your sexual history or where you kind of came to be in a place where you are so standing in your light with sex and, you know, representative for our generation about sex. Oh, yeah. So two two things that were very formative for me. Um, I also grew up Catholic and mm. I also had Shout that. Out. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out for that repressed sex. Woo. <laughs> like there's something wrong with me. Literally. There's that is is I remember so many times even being young I'm like this isn't right no no exactly and it was so confusing too because it like when I sat in church like I felt the sacredness like I Mm. felt like I knew the beauty of prayer and it was so toxic to then be told that like so many parts of me were unacceptable like to God or to spirituality so that was a huge turning point in my life as well was Mm -hmm. to be able to claim like a spiritual connection while also feeling like Mm -hmm. menstruation is a beautiful thing. Like having sexual passion is a beautiful and sacred thing. Like wanting to orgasm as a woman and having an orgasm as a woman is a beautiful and sacred Mm -hmm. thing. So that kind of disconnect, just like you, I, I always felt like it didn't feel true to me and that people were kind of It just, you know, it just felt like a lot of BS to like shame women and sexuality and none of it really made sense anyways, that we were all divine creation. And yet like one of our most primal urges or instincts was somehow like dirty or wrong. So I definitely, that, that was very formative. And my father was sexually abusive when I was young. Mm. So I was incredibly sexually shut down. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't even go into Victoria's Secret as like a teenager. Like I would like the idea or the thought of sex was so scary mm-hmm. to me. And when I first um, had my first sexual experience with my first boyfriend when I was 16, I actually went into a state of shock and panic and like I couldn't speak for an hour. And, uh, and then after that, the only way I could be sexual for the next seven years was drugs or alcohol. So Mm. I definitely had, um, a very powerful experience of what sexual shutdown in the body do. And I was then also very fascinated. So during that time period, that's when I started, focusing on sexuality at Stanford and wanting to learn as much as I could about it. And just having this sense of, you know, even for people who didn't go through that level of intensity that, you know, even for those of us who are like, okay, like in my head, sex is beautiful. In my head, I want to move on in my head. I want to have the kind of sexuality that I desire. You know, if you grew up, 
you know, Catholic or repressed or even just in a family where it was kind of uncomfortable. We carry that in our bodies and deep in our psyches and our minds, Mm -hmm. even if we've consciously changed our thought patterns. So I became very interested in what does it take to actually change sexual reality on the deepest layers? Yeah. And I know a little bit about your story, just, just following you and watching you. And I think it's so powerful. And I just, it amazes me that you took something that's so painful and something that can ruin people's lives for the rest of their lives in and out of, you know, being intimate or not being intimate. How, what makes you different? You know, so what made you able to overcome the sexual abuse that you received from your dad and really become interested in it as a passion and a hobby to bring light to it and to make it something that's centered around love when you were so shame, shamed when you were little? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Like what actually made me different about that. I, you know, I'm really grateful that I kind of always had a sense, like I grew up in suburban America and Mm -hmm. I always, I always felt like something was off. Like people weren't being honest with themselves. Like I didn't fully buy into the story around me. And I feel like that was a really huge saving grace. Mm -hmm. I also chose to do things my own way. So I left school for two years and went to India and started meditating and doing yoga. And like, I don't know where that sense came from, but I really had this feeling of like, I, like, I'm going to get through this. Like, I'm going to do this. I am not going to spend my life. Like it literally feels like a, like a piece of my soul had died. Like something really Mm. cold inside of me, like literally had been removed. And it was, you know, it's one of the saddest feelings to feel that way that like, you're supposed to feel alive and you just can't cause something's missing. And I just felt so compelled to, to answer that question and kind of, to be totally honest, went through like years of just like horror and disgust with our society that I was like, wait a minute, mm. like 30, 40% of children have been sexually abused. Wow. And so many women have experienced rape and men and boys have experienced this too. And why are there not like, you know, safe spaces in every town and city in America where people can go and heal and integrate this kind of pain? Why is it such a silent killer in so many mm-hmm. people's bodies and lives? Like the fact that it didn't make sense to me, I think also really drove a, a deep desire to, to create a different reality. I love that. And that is like so stunningly beautiful. And I think that's something that's so special to you. And it's almost like spirit came through you, you know, in your experiences in the meditation and you were able to take that such painful experiences and make it something that's so beautiful now and bringing such light to so many people. And, you know, I was, as thinking about it too, with me growing up Catholic and kind of the shame around it, I'm sure that there are people in your life that you encounter that aren't, supportive of you and your mission and your vision and maybe because they don't understand but how do you deal with people that don't understand what you're doing and kind of see it as something that's negative and that should be shunned and should be you know put should be put in the dark rather than light yeah um I deal with it in two ways I think in my in my better moments I deal with it with compassion because I've Mm. definitely seen over and over again that people's anger and feeling of like sex is dirty or this shouldn't be talked about or this shouldn't be done. Like it's just sitting on their own conditioning Mm -hmm. and like deep down inside they're a sexual being too, who has, hasn't ever been able to, and may not ever be able to express that kind of beauty and pleasure in the world. So sometimes I get it. And sometimes it just pisses me off. I'm Mm -hmm. like, like, I don't need this. This is so uncool. (laughs) Like over it, peace out. <laughs> totally. I'm gonna go have good sex somewhere else. Peace. <laughs> when did you start incorporating what you learned and what you started to discover? Did you have a relationship that you were in, or were you kind of trial and erroring with with people that you um, were intimate with? How did that go? Yeah. So, um, when I kind of went to my first Tantra school, when I sort of, I spent three and a half years there and really went like deep. So doing like four to six hours of practice a day, um, I, my boyfriend from the States had actually come with me. So, and I had already, I was already in therapy for sexual abuse. So I had already been trying to like integrate and was, you know, crying all the time and occasionally (laughs) throwing up because it was like, 
like such an intense experience. Mm -hmm. And so when I first started learning Tantra and, um, back then kind of working with sexual energy, um, working with, uh, using sexuality as a way to access spiritual experiences, as a way to meditate, uh, and experience life in a really heightened way. And like a core part of Tantra as well as to experience sexuality as like goddess, like literally as the living goddess inside Mm -hmm. really amazing, beautiful experiences. And so I was learning these techniques and practices and it was so incredibly potent at the time to shift from having had to escape sexuality for so long to this like overwhelming, like beyond, like just so not even a thought, like in every cell in my body being like, Oh my God, this is what sex is for. Like it's for this level of connection and experience. How amazing, how incredible. And, you know, I went through waves in my relationship because one of the things that happened at that time was actually, I got really good at kind of spiritual sex where I could get really high on energy and do a lot of energy practices and feel like the goddess. But then I felt very broken as Layla still because of this whole traumatic past. And so I went back and forth and eventually really decided as well to heal like literally in my bones and my body so that I could have a very personal like sex life of just doing whatever I felt like or a really spiritual sex life. And I think that point's really important because sometimes people can use like the spiritual practices to escape what's going on inside of their body. And, and both was really important to me. That's amazing. Yeah. And in, in working with, um, your clients, do you tend to see more women or are you having couples come to you? And what is, what are in your eyes, the biggest mistakes they're making in, in trying to establish a sexual connection? I mean, I know in my life, I feel like, there's always been an imbalance. Um, so I feel like I'm, I'm the oldest of four kids. I'm a nurturer. I'm always the mom in the group. So when it comes to being in the bedroom, I'm always the one kind of taking care of him and not really worrying about myself and making sure that he is pleasured and he's satisfied. And then if we get to me, that'd be great. But if not, like I'm totally good, you know, and that was my story for so long. And only now recently in the last few years, have I really been almost like calling in what I want, if that makes sense. Um, so what, what are those mistakes or just kind of missteps or misconceptions that people have, um, when they come to you? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I work with both women and men. Um, and so for women, um, that's what you're mentioning as a really, really big one. So, so many women have really been trained that their sexuality isn't really for them. Like it's for their partner or Mm -hmm. it's so they can look good to society or so they can like have value in society, but it's not for their basic enjoyment and pleasure to do whatever they want with. And so that switch is really key for a lot of women. Um, there's also like, there's this weird misconception in society. So, you know, we can't generalize the entire population of men and women, but there's a lot of women who are like terrified of being too much in the bedroom, being too passionate, too sexual, because we've gotten all this conditioning about being a good girl, being the night, being the kind, like he wants to marry or whatever that Mm -hmm. even means. Like people, got that kind of messaging. And what I hear from men over and over again, and I tend to work with, you know, more conscious men who are trying working on their sexuality, all of that is like, Oh my God, like when she's in pleasure, like when she's really enjoying herself, like that's the best experience. Mm -hmm. Like uh, so many men take so much pleasure from seeing their partner in pleasure. So it's like this weird game where like women are kind of holding back or kind of trying to please their partner. And in a lot of situations, a woman like really embracing her pleasure and really saying yes to the experience is actually what's really fulfilling to him. So that kind of miscommunication happens a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the biggest sexual gateways for women is having full spectrum emotions in sex. So uh, we kind of, again, there's a lot of this like Hollywood or pornography sex. Like it's either supposed to be like super hardcore and crazy, but definitely about pleasure. Or it's supposed to be like really romantic and connected, but still about pleasure. And a woman's like deep sexuality is very much like life. And it had like there's tears, there's anger, there's like wildness, there's total abandon. 
there's a kind of full-bodied expression of everything that's this gateway to the more wild sexual experiences and like when I say wild sex I don't mean like pornographic sex I mean the kind of sex where your sense of like being yourself and having it all together like vanishes and you're just fully in it like you're Mm -hmm. fully in the experience and that's what so many of us are craving and yet so many women have a hard time getting there and usually it's this opening to all of their emotions but also what's really going on what they're really feeling inside so um, I teach a lot of sexual meditation like being really with the experiences and the sensation inside of the body as this gateway to this kind of wild sexual experience and a lot of women will try to push it or fake it and while I completely understand where that's coming from it actually short circuits it because the truly wild sexual experience is a um, it's a neurological sexual experience that really comes from letting go of all control. So if you're trying to push or fake something, it's actually using the part of your brain that's controlling everything. And so getting into really wild sexual experiences where you're just fully in the moment and really there's, you know, you're experiencing everything has to do a lot more with using things like breathing or conscious sounding or moving in certain ways and definitely having a practice Um, that you do on your own can really support that. So it's just kind of like a misunderstanding of sex as well. uh, um, And I think both men and women really misunderstand that, you know, if you're magically in love um, or if you really love each other in a relationship, then sex should always be vibrant. But actually what happens is after the honeymoon period where you're, you know, madly in love with each other, once, you know, shit starts getting real, um, it actually makes a space for your deep sexuality to emerge, but because people don't recognize this phenomenon, what happens is your deep sexuality, usually because we're in a kind of sexually broken society in a lot of ways, healing is required. Like there's deep wounding there, there's neediness, there's vulnerability. People don't recognize that. And so instead they tend to shut down and then numbness sets in. And that's where this kind of sexual disinterest starts to happen. So that's a really big thing for women. For men, there's actually this cultural misperception that like women are the ones who have all the sexual issues and men are doing just fine. And men are facing just as much, um, it's not the same kind of sexual repression and control, but it's a different kind of sexual repression and control around what it is to be a man. They're still really actually in a gendered role about not feeling, not crying, not expressing. Um, definitely pornography changes their brains and bodies from a very young age. And that's something, you know, they don't even recognize what's going on when they're teenagers and yet they're programming and wiring their bodies into a certain type of sex. Mm. Um, there's a lot of performance anxiety about sex being all about having the right type of orgasm, lasting just the right amount of time, giving her this much pleasure that really removes a lot of men from their deepest sexual experiences as well. So it's really kind of, getting men to understand that so that they can embody their sexuality in a, in, in a more authentic way. I love that. And I feel like there's so many, there's so much unpacking, you know, that could be done with men and women. And I know that when you were talking, you touched on it a little bit. What are your thoughts on pornography and like the porn culture that we're in right now? So like, I don't feel like there's anything necessarily inherently wrong with pornography. Mm -hmm. And I definitely feel like if it's used lightly, then it's totally fine. If Mm -hmm. it's anyone who's getting addicted to anything, then it becomes unhealthy. Mm -hmm. But pornography is a reflection of how we use sexuality in our culture. And so Mm -hmm. because we are so sexually repressed and unhealthy, pornography itself is perpetuating a lot of that. So I can definitely envision a world in which we were watching like deeply connected, conscious pornography with healthy, truly connected people um, in the sexual experience. And since that's not happening, I think by and large, it's having a kind of programming effect on people around their sexuality that isn't, you know, it's at, at the worst, it's, it's shutting down their sexuality and getting them hooked into sexuality being a certain kind of expression mm-hmm. that I don't think is very authentic. And in the best case, it's just not supporting them in kind of getting there fully. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big, deep 
deep thing. And Mm -hmm. I really feel that if we lived in a culture where people were sexually satiated Mm -hmm. and expressing their sexuality and totally choosing relationship styles and sexuality that fully suited them, um, that pornography would be so much less of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, the way that as people start choosing healthy organic food and living a conscious integrated lifestyle, processed food becomes I think of the past, like they might eat it occasionally, but it's not like you're living off of it. You, you kind of couldn't anymore. I love that. That's beautiful. I completely agree. Cause I do feel like now, um, our generation and as I've kind of grown up in this age, it's interesting to see pornography evolve and become such an, um, something that was taboo that's so normalized and it's so normalized at a young age. And I just have a challenge with it, understanding my thoughts on it. You know, is it freedom of expression or is it a low vibration um, excuse for people, like you said, to block themselves from connecting to a deeper level sexually? Definitely, definitely. And it, it is low vibration. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be. That's the thing. It yeah. could be until our society experiences high vibration sexuality, like pornography won't reflect that. So it's kind of a vicious cycle right now. And I almost think, you know, at a young age, like when we first start started having sex, um, for me, it was like 18. And I was almost like looking for a way to be what, be what he needed. Mm. And it was as if porn was the only thing I could turn to. Mm. Not that I was... I had I saw porn and watched it with my boyfriend at the time, and it was for me as an actress. I was like, oh, I can play that role, but mm. in, and it was fun. And it's so fun to role play and have fun with that. And I still to this day like love going there. But there's something that's lost. You know, I'm I'm not connected to why playing this role serves serves me and helps me deeply connect to my sexuality and my needs and the way in which I can connect to him. So, you know, I don't even know if this is a question. It's more just, I don't know why kids, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know it's a taboo subject, but man, if these, if these boys are having Mm -hmm. sex at 18, 19, 20, and they are only experiencing porn in like the privacy of their dorm room or their, their bedroom, and nothing else is being talked about about how to connect with your partner. You know what I mean? And and how to to open her up in a mm-hmm. safe, beautiful, emotional, mm-hmm. connected way. I mean, I know it's like we are so far from that, but I think your work is like moving us towards that. Um, so, all right, just to take a little shift um, in the conversation, what has, in terms of um, the orgasm, so I, confession, and hopefully my ex-boyfriend is not listening, I mean, (laughs) I faked it our entire relationship. Five years? No, not that one. Mm. Like two years. Mm. And um, do you find that women are just perpetually faking orgasm on like thinking they are unworthy of it, of like the pleasure of it, or they just don't take the time. And how do you work with them and hopefully their partner to, to change that? Yeah, definitely. I do. I hear it a lot. And there's definitely a lot of women who come and do my courses and like, it's a very common thing, like mid relationship. They're like, Oh my gosh, like I want to, like, I want to express my genuine sexuality. Mm. And now I've, I feel like I've kind of in a way been lying to my partner. And so I really, Mm. I really work with them first and foremost to like take some of that shame and guilt away because I I have noticed that, that there does seem to be a lot of a sense of like, Oh, like just feeling guilty about it or, or like they've done something wrong that it makes total sense in our culture where, you know, we put all this pressure on women to be multi-orgasmic, to be able to do 10 things that he'll love in the bit, like all of this stuff. And then we don't educate anyone on what true orgasm is or how to truly get there. Um, it makes so much sense. And deep down inside, there is just a desire to make your partner happy, to make the sexual relationship feel like it's working. Um, it's actually usually coming from a good place, um, even though it's kind of hiding what's really going on. So um, shifting out of that, it's a really big Like, it's just so much in our society, like really, really, really getting 
everyone to understand like how sexuality is such this like profound body phenomenon that's uncontrollable. And we've just been taught for so long to fear our bodies, fear that they're not good enough, fear that they don't work, fear that they're broken or fear that they're too sexual or they're too much or they're too wet or they're too this or they're too that. Mm. Like, because there's so much fear around the body that it's going to be this or that, there's this real cultural inability um, in so many women to, um, to uh, like just allow the body. So it's a really, you know, everything that I do is like a retraining into that. And so women tend to recover that orgasmic state, but there's also just a bigger conversation around like the real value of sexuality because we kind of had this cool phase where it was like before women's orgasms didn't matter at all. And then all of a sudden they mattered so much. Um, that was at least a step in the right direction, but it puts so much pressure on women. And so many men now have been raised to believe that they're only good lovers if their woman has an orgasm and if she has it on time and hopefully if she has like three. Um, and so it's kind of also changing that dynamic. Like I really, um, educate women to educate their partners that orgasm is not the end all be all. And that like really enjoying the pleasure of the experience and really taking the time to be able to drop into it. And that even if, you know, we desire orgasms, this pressure to have an orgasm absolutely kills the natural evolution of actually experiencing an orgasm. So being able to step back and say, look, like if I don't have an orgasm, it doesn't mean I didn't have a great time. It doesn't mean you're not an amazing lover. Um, really creating the space to be able to love whatever's happening in the moment. Like it sounds kind of abstract, but I wish everyone in every couple everywhere could do this sexually where it's just like, it's okay. It's okay. If your pussy isn't feeling it today, it's okay. If you feel afraid, it's okay. If you feel shut down, it's okay. If you just ejaculated all over the place, it's okay. (laughs) Rolling full body orgasm. Like it's all okay. And getting into that mindset is a big jump, but it's super, super important for taking off this pressure of needing to have one and then needing to fake one. If you don't. I love that you say pussy. Yeah, same. I've been happy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, girl, say pussy. <laughs> I think this was a little bit what you were just talking about too, but I want to make sure that I'm – it's different. the answer is different. I'm asking the right question. How could we start deconditioning ourselves? So, you know, for, for the Catholic upbringing or for someone that grew up when – in a home that – you know, sexuality was shunned or no one talked to you about it or is seen as bad, how could you, what would be some steps for some women to start deconditioning themselves so that they can start to stand more in their sexuality and their femininity? Yes, definitely. So there are kind of three major tools that I think are the most effective. So basically these, this conditioning or this imprinting sits in the deepest parts of your brain So most of the time we're not able to access that, which means that we can't change those feelings. So Mm -hmm. if you got conditioned to feel guilty about sex or you got conditioned to believe that your pussy might be dirty or it might smell or whatever, Mm -hmm. or that you don't look good if you're fat in bed or whatever these things are that got in really deep early on, you have to be able to open up your body mind so that you can actually access them at the root. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to do regular sexual practices where you can go deep enough that you can see that that attachment has been made. And over time, you can actually separate out the attachment. So my sexual lust doesn't need to be attached to shame. Like I attached those two things when I was young, but Mm -hmm. actually that was a choice. You can't separate them until you go deep enough to actually feel it at the root. And then once you go to the root and really feel it and recognize it in a really deep way, you can start to say, okay, actually, instead of shame, I'd rather experience celebration or I'd rather experience joy with my sexual lust. So I teach practices that open up the gateway so that you can go deep enough. One of the biggest ones is breath work. So doing regular pussy breathing. It's mm-hmm. literally for any of you who've ever done How yoga. Do you do that? In and out of your pussy or your mouth? So that would be cool if you could do it in and out of your pussy. I was wondering that too. I'm like, I think that's a queef. Just kidding. That's like the super advanced level. Um, <laughs> um, so.
So you breathe in and out of your mouth, but it's as though you were breathing in and out of your pussy. Mm. So the same way that you can breathe in and out of your lower belly, even though your lungs don't reach down into your lower belly in yoga, it's like you're breathing in and out of your pelvis, your pelvic floor and your pussy. And so you can just put on a piece of music, 15, 20 minutes, breathe in and out um, of your mouth, open, open mouth in and out in and out of your pussy. And there is a, like what will happen basically is that the normal layer of kind of control and disconnection and not really being able to go will vanish. And you'll be much closer to those original roots, which gives you the ability to switch them out and to make different choices. So there's, you know, at first you can go all the way in, feel what's there and then kind of make a conscious choice. One of my favorite things to do is if you want to feel joy um, with your sexual lust instead, then you're breathing and you start to feel, oh, okay, okay. There's the shame and the sexual lust and it's there. And now I'm going to breathe in joy and consciously start to connect my sexual lust with an experience of joy. So that's one of the more kind of basic practices, but it can be really, really powerful. One of the other ones that really helps is sounding. So I teach a lot of authentic sounding. And if you can make sounds as though you're making them from your pussy, from your womb, from your ovaries, again, there's this kind of transformative effect where some of the deep conditioned residue can move or lift from that area of the body. And it gives you the opportunity to go in and switch it up with something that you would more prefer there. And then the last kind of thing is working with the jade egg, which you referenced at the beginning of this call. So it's like a stone egg made of jade you put up inside of your pussy, basically do pussy yoga with it. Mm. And the same as any habit in the world that gets formed, the way to undo the habit is to basically create a new habit. So giving um, yourself a container of practice where, you know, two, three times a week, you're actually going and consciously doing a sexual practice um, where you're rewiring how you feel, how you experience your own sexuality. Um, that also produces drastic effects over time. That's stunning. And so with, with the jade egg, you put it, you put it up there and then you, you hold it for a certain amount of time or is, is there, there a meditation involved? Yeah, <laughs> there is. <laughs> <laughs> We're so, getting one. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> it's kind of a, um, it's a common misunderstanding that you just kind of walk around with the jade egg inside. That's something that you can do, but it's not really the core of the practice. So the core of the jade egg practices are usually done lying on your back with either your legs down or your knees up and your feet on the ground and doing a variety of different practices. So, um, you can do some conscious squeezing and releasing, but you're usually working with lots of the different muscles and different dimensions inside the vagina. So you can squeeze like the entrance of your vagina, but you can also learn mm. to squeeze the central part of your vagina. You can also learn to squeeze up towards the cervix. You can squeeze the left, the right, the front, the back. So it's creating a kind of dexterity, but also a sensitivity. Um, over time doing that also develops basically uh, like neuronal sensitivity in the whole area, which is really great um, for sexuality. And you also do various practices. It depends. Part of uh, like my style of work with the jade egg is to do um, sexual energy practices. So working with the, the different chakras um, and also sexual healing practices. So there's kind of using the breath work, using the sounding to clear energy from ex-lovers to I've cleared a lot of Catholic energy with the jade egg. <laughs> um, doing things like that even just really delicious hip circles. And over time, it basically opens up this kind of sensual sexual space that feels similar to yoga, but with like almost a lot more sensuality and bliss involved. And does the, does the jade egg help women have um, vaginal orgasms instead of clitoral? I know that like it's not, I guess it is like the easier way to have an orgasm is – um, through stimulating the clitoris, but I feel like the jade egg, having something in there and, and connecting that like vagina mind <laughs> or strengthening that connection would help that. Have you found that with your clients? Absolutely. So I feel like what, kind of what we're on the verge of is like 
the digestive system now everyone's like oh my god it's a second brain like who knew mm. that what you ate like affects everything about your emotions and your behavior and all of this and to me there's the pussy brain which is like the yeah, third pussy one. brain <laughs> pussy brain does pussy yoga on the weekends <laughs> <laughs> And pussy brain has not been stimulated to the degree that this genius is capable of. So um, mm. there's definitely that aspect to it. And yes, a lot of women become much more orgasmic um, cervically uh, in the deep vagina and in the G spot, which is really key if you are either heterosexual or you know you have um, like dildo sex with a woman. Any kind of intercourse style sexuality is going to feel much, much better if you've awakened and sensitized the deep areas of the vagina to sexual and sensual pleasure. And like very, very few women have done this. And actually what I've seen is that these psycho-emotional feelings, and this has actually been studied scientifically, like women who have a lot of disgust emotions associated with sex feel a lot more pain during sex. So mm. a lot of our emotional imprinting around our sexuality actually shows up in how much pleasure the vagina feels and specifically the deeper vagina. So the G spot, the deep vagina and the cervix. So working with the jade egg not only helps sensitize these areas, but it helps remove that psycho-emotional blockage um, so that this deep sensitivity is restored. And I've seen amazing things. So I've worked with men, um, women who've had their cervixes removed and they've even been able to have cervical orgasms. So it's really amazing what the deep vagina is capable of when when you work with it regularly, like the Jada gives the opportunity. When you stimulate that pussy brain. Literally. So Wait, where's the G spot, Layla? I don't, it, where is it? <laughs> so the, the location of the G spot varies by woman. So mm-hmm. for some women. Where's mine? If I show you, will you tell me? <laughs> yes. I'll send you a pic. <laughs> we can do this by Skype afterwards. <laughs> One of the big things is that the so G-spot is um, is erectile tissue, so you have to be really turned on to feel it. If you try and feel it and you're not super turned on, it won't be erect enough to locate mm-hmm. in most women. So that's one big one. Got to be really turned on. Then you play, want please. What? I said foreplay, please. (laughs) And then you want to slip your index finger inside of your vagina and it's on, it's always on the wall facing your stomach. So not the wall facing your spine up on your stomach. And this is what's really interesting is that for, I think the exact number, but I could be a little off on this, like 93% of women, you can actually find it. Like it is a, a ribbed, noticeable like it feels like a really soft walnut or that ribbing at the top of the roof of your mouth and it's either right at the entrance to your vagina or it's like one inch in or for some women it can be even deeper than that so it's got this like difference in location because it's really just the female prostate which has a different location in different women but for about seven percent of women there's no discernible feeling at all like it doesn't you won't feel that walnut type thing so it's literally just like the rest of the wall of your vagina so the only way that you can locate it is actually by pressing in to the wall when you're really turned on Mm -hmm. and finding is there any part that either feels either particularly uncomfortable, particularly pleasurable, or makes you feel like you kind of have to pee. That's how you locate it. If you have the kind of G spot that you're not like, Oh wow. Okay. Like I can feel a, like, like my G spot. It's like, Oh, okay. That's, there's a very clear bump and ridge there. And some women mm-hmm. are like that, but some women are not like that at all. And most are somewhere in between. So once you are able to find it or you and your partner are able to find it. I'm looking right now. I'll let you know. <laughs> That's why we didn't want to do video. I just want to like test everything out. We're both naked. We, um, <laughs> what is the best practice for, for a couple or an individual trying to stimulate it and, and not get frustrated? And I think, at least for me, if I'm with a partner it's just the speed at which everything is happening. I'm like, how the fuck do you expect me to like 
really like tune in and feel what is going on. And again, that goes back to me just not taking the time or having the patience. But um, what do you, what are your practices um, that you put into place? I guess it would be a, a form of foreplay or, or exploration um, that help people just connect with their G-spot. Yes. So having like a G-spot massage session is a lot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or there's... <laughs> <laughs> That's in my like, love that. dating profile now. The pussy brain sends this calendar <laughs> invite for a G spot <laughs> massage session. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Send that to Justin pussy brain tonight. Invite. Yes, <laughs> invitation via the pussy brain. <laughs> um, yeah. So if there's no kind of expectation that intercourse needs to happen or anything needs to happen, actually, but there's just like let's spend. 20, 30, 45 minutes just massaging and exploring the G-spot, um, that makes a world of difference because you know that you can just really drop in and feel your body, and that's so incredibly key. Um, for most women, starting with blended pleasure is really important, so having your partner or you actually stimulating your clitoris or your vulva and touching the G-spot at the same time. And a big thing is is that there's – you there. In a lot of women, there's like an emotional storage in the G spot. So for some women, it's anger. For some women, it's sadness. For some women, it's like a kind of rigidity around their sexuality. So if you go to kind of touch your G spot and it doesn't feel pleasurable, it feels like something else. It's really important to breathe and sound whatever's Mm -hmm. going on. I've seen many, many women like scream for like 10 minutes. Um, or cry for 10 minutes and then all of a sudden have like a really powerful G-spot orgasm. Mm -hmm. So it's important to be kind of willing to work with whatever is there in your G-spot rather than trying to like force it into experiencing pleasure. If you express whatever's there, the pleasure will come. We need a 101. I'm not sure I'm ready to scream and cry. (laughs) Well, and I need to work on my deconditioning. (laughs) I really think like because, you know, being – being in touch with our feminine, I, I know we both, we all have feminine and masculine energy, but being in touch with that feminine and being emotional, um, I mean, how do you help your partner, in our case, would be a man, not be afraid to connect with that part and, and take the time? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I think... You know, I also want to, like, explore where his pleasure spots are. I would be more than happy to not have sex and just kind of explore for 30 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, how do you break down that wall? I think they're so conditioned to, like, get in there, uh, 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 get it done. You know what I mean? So how do we, like, slow down the conversation and the flow? Yeah. So definitely, like... There's like giving a container is always a powerful thing. So definitely just saying, Hey, can I give you a penis massage for a half an hour tonight? And that's it. Like, I'm just going to massage your penis and explore what feels good to you. That can be really helpful. And there's a cool thing called sandboxing where you're just there to like explore and create the way that you would if you were like a kid in a sandbox. So just taking that pressure, that expectation off. Um, I find generally men are really good if they have the experience of something working. So like mm-hmm. I have quite like a couple of penis massage videos, um, like on my YouTube channel and a lot of women report like, wow, like my guy was really blown away by that experience. And so it's a lot easier Um, instead of, I I know a lot of women are afraid of making their partners feel like they're not good enough in bed or there's something wrong. So if your partner kind of has the experience of, wow, like taking 30 minutes and just touching me or giving me a penis massage gave me that much more pleasure. I totally get then why you would want a G-spot massage. Like it, it's a very practical way to demonstrate that. That makes it very, very clear. A big thing for men as well that I really work with them on is that because of the porn world, because of habitual masturbation, because of all of this stuff, by habitual masturbation, I mean kind of like jerking off while fantasizing or watching porn and then sort of uh, conditioning their body to need hard and fast is a lot Mm -hmm. of guys at first think that slow doesn't feel like anything. And like, I know with my boyfriend, Andrew, that when we first got together and I was like, no, no, (laughs) slow, slow, slow. Mm. And we really got it. 
he was like, Oh my God, I, like, I feel so much more like, mm. and so it's not like he never goes fast or we can't enjoy that kind of sex, but he, he can do either and get a ton of pleasure from it. And I think it's a really important jump for a man to make to really be an incredible lover. He, he hit the jackpot. You're like the smartest human I'll ever speak to. And you're like the master of sex. It's like a dream. Thank you. <laughs> it's a damn dream. How did you guys meet? Um, so we met actually um, in Thailand where I was working at a center as like a Tantra teacher and doing sessions. And he actually had just done his first Tantra workshop, not with me, with a different teacher. And he came in and got a breathwork session from me. And I was like... You know, I'm usually a consummate professional, but he was there with his sexy Australian accent, no shirt on, in his oh. like oh no, his um his board shorts, doing breath work, and I was I just remember looking at him and being like, Layla, professional, <laughs> professional. You're like, yo, this is why I'm here. Yo. Let's fucking do this. We're gonna do this exercise yeah. now. Yeah, I've got an exercise for you. <laughs> That's amazing. We didn't actually get together for like two months after that. So mm-hmm. we like had a conversation because we had like a flirtatious vibe and both of us were like, hey, I could never like, like we're like, we couldn't be together and we're not looking to just fuck around. We're looking like both of us were looking for a relationship and we kind of like sized each other up and we're like, it's definitely not you. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and, uh, and then we got together like a few months later in Bali and it was like crazy how instant it was. Like we like moved in together and shared finances and started a business together all in like within two weeks of first making out. So it was a really good lesson for me that you don't always know, like who you're like the people that you have that like instant crazy magnetism mm-hmm. with. Sometimes those are the right people, but sometimes it kind of creeps up on you too. Mm, at the right yes. time. And how do you guys balance that? So if your career and you know, a lot of what you do in your life is sex, um, how do you kind of, do you keep, your relationship private or or how do you sort of balance being private and and being so public about talking about sex? Well, so we also work together. So, um, in my brands, we're basically like co-founders and he does the marketing and stuff like that. So it's, it's all one big soup, which definitely has the negatives. (laughs) (laughs) Um, our romantic relationship is actually much more harmonious than our work relationship. Our work relationship is like a power struggle amongst like two very opinionated visionaries. Oh, I'm sure. Um, yeah, which is really super intense. Um, I think, you know, we kind of, we, we've really made it work. Like Andrew shows up in the vlogs and, and he really talks about stuff. And I love, he's in our couples course. Um, he brings a real kind of down to earth, like, um, with that, like, you want me to feel my chakra, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like, Oh my God, this actually works kind of thing. So I really appreciate that. And, you know, just always being really honest about our sexuality with our audience. Like we in general have really amazing sex and we struggle like any couple, like we have our ups and downs. We're going into our fourth year together. Like we have to work to keep our chemistry and our passion alive. And, um, just being willing to talk about that, I think makes it feel really great. Like I've met so many like marriage therapists who are like, I haven't had sex in 20 years. And I'm like, I'm always just going to be really honest with my audience about like how it is and what's going on and how we feel and all that. I love that part of your brand. He's both of you. I was watching, um, your foreplay video earlier this week and I just loved um, the exercise of tossing out the negative before you, well, actually it's kind of part of starting to be intimate. It's just tossing out like anything that's weighing you down, anything that would get in the way of connecting right in this moment. And I just thought that was such a good exercise. I know it's pretty simple and I don't know if, if people would be so willing to do it, but it's, I, I don't know. It felt, it felt so simple yet so effective and, and something that I could have been using because I think you bring so much into that space and so much is not talked about and you like engage in this really intense physical emotional you know thing and yet all of these things are going on in your head so I thought that was that was an amazing exercise um and you can just I don't know I'm like addicted to watching you both (laughs) 
um, thank you. <laughs> if people could do just as a last two, few questions, if people could do one thing, our listeners are could do one thing for themselves to help them. So we talked about getting in touch with their partner to get in touch with themselves and their sexuality. What's the one thing you suggest that they do? Well, just have a conscious self-sexual practice. Basically, mm-hmm. like I was talking, like either do like pussy breathing or have a jade egg practice. Um, for men, I do a lot of training around 50% of their masturbation sessions. They work on breath work or they work on slowing down their touch with themselves or they work on just meditating on what's going on inside of their body. Um, just doing one simple thing like that can, can drastically change your sexual experience. I love that. I love that. And then how do you, just as a last question, you have various programs that you provide that you help people. What are those programs and how exactly do you help people? Uh, yeah. So I have, um, Jade pleasure, which is the Jade egg course. So that's a seven week training on how to use the Jade egg. And I also have Obelisk, which is similar. Both of those are just for women and mm-hmm. Obelisk is about using sounding, breathing, movement, and presence, um, to change your sexual experience. And, a big part of both of those programs for me is working on both the path of purification and the path of pleasure. So, mm-hmm. um, like we've been talking about in this call, it's not so easy as just like learning a couple of like better blowjob tools or like trying to have a better orgasm. It's actually about purifying, releasing, moving through, transforming a lot of these things that hold us back sexually and then getting to higher and higher states of pleasure. So there's this kind of swing back and forth, um, with very detailed, practices. Um, there's Epic Lovers, which is for couples, and that is uh, going through the six different types of sex. So there's sensational sex, electric sex, wild sex, kinky sex, tantric sex, um, and enlightened sex. And so that's all of these different things that I've been talking about where you're like, huh, how could I get my lover to do that? It's like pussy massage, G-spot massage, penis massage, sexual breath work, tantric sex, um, all kinds of cool practices like that. Um, but in these date nights that you do together as a couple. And so it's really, as well, it's really about giving people the container and the framework um, to sit down and really have communication around sexuality to really do these intimacy practices where you're like, I'm not sure if we really do the bubble practice. Well, in that course, you have to do it. So it's like <laughs> um, giving the really powerful container for those experiences. And then I have a men's course, so Men's Sexual Mastery. Um, where uh, men learn learn all these practices, but for for men, yeah, no, yeah. I'm enrolling tomorrow. I know. I love, we just love how holistic your approach is. Um, you cover everything: the physical, the emotional, the spiritual. Um, you're you're moving mountains, girl. I feel like there's there's some a shift that's happening. And in our sex lives and, and how they connect to our relationship and our relationship, relationships with other people and relationships with ourselves. So I just think it's so important. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, we would love for our listeners to connect with you. How can they connect with you? Yeah. So if they go to laylamartin.com and enter their email address, uh, that's where I send my weekly videos, um, every single week and, uh, also the YouTube channel. So Layla Martin on YouTube. Amazing. Thank you so much. This was really, really special. As a last question, really quick, Layla, your nipple arousal video had 6 million views. What do you think it was about that video that really just (laughs) enticed people? I was like, all of them have so many views, but that one just really busted through. I think it's like a ten. I think it's like oh, close to ten million now. I, YouTube is a mystery. They're yo, like hashtag like nipple, hashtag 100%. rub. Percent. I was like, yo, people love nipple rubs. I think it's the fact that Andrew had like fake balloon testicles, and that actress popped them with her teeth. I don't know. That could have been the moment. Oh, <laughs> people heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> Layla, you're the you're the best. Even just your presence makes me kind of sort of think about or makes me actually think about my past and sort of unpacking my sexuality mm-hmm. as I step into my me 30s. Too. That's even more important I think now than it was before because I'm starting to understand it in my body a lot more. So I just really respect you and I appreciate you for standing in your light and for turning such challenging situations into such beautiful things and really spreading that across. So I know that our listeners are really going to enjoy this episode as well so thank Thank you so much so amazing all right girl we'll talk to you soon we'll let you know when this episode is out 
Thank you so, so much. Beautiful. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Now I'm stocking up on oxygen. Cause when I see you, I forget to breathe. I forget to breathe.